Tutorial Podcast, a podcast offering discussions and tutorials on nerdy subjects for people who aren't necessarily nerdy themselves. With you today, myself, is your nerdy tutor, Georgia, with me here today, the yarn mistress, my mom. Hey, it's, you know, it's Christmas, Christmas is coming up. I'm, Christmas I'm, is coming up. Christmas work, presenting. Work is going to get crazy soon with all this these packages. True. This is true. Um, for those who are uh, probably going to release this probably a little bit afterwards, we'll have Prime Day soon. Amazon Prime Day. It'll be crazy. Yeah. As I'm told every year. Uh, but we are not talking about uh, the. We're not talking about a South South American rainforest that somehow produces books and other goods that you can buy online. We're not. No, we're actually going to probably talk about one of my favorite anime series here of all today, and we are going to talk about Fate Stay Night. Fate. Fate. So the way it's the way it's written is it's Fate forward slash Stay Night. Stay night. Stay night is in like you're staying in a house, but it's the nighttime. Okay. So stay night. So um, why it's called this, I don't have a really good answer for you at all. Um, but it's one of my favorite series of all time just because I love the characters in it. It has a very um, interesting storyline to it, but it's also spawned about like a bajillion spinoffs of stuff. So um, and regardless of your experience with the series, there's... A lot of confusion about what to do, what to start in, and we're gonna just talk about it um, because I've never heard of it. So you're hitting me completely cold. That's okay. You like Game of Thrones? I do like Game of Thrones. This is kind of like the animated version of Game of Thrones. I, wa- I wanted to be Daenerys until I found out how it, it okay, ends. How it ends? Yeah. Um, but fate, but fate is kind of like the um, anime version of Game of Thrones. There is some plot armor, but not a lot of it. People die and people disappear, and it has a lasting impact on the story. Well, I mean, Cersei made it the whole way. Sansa made it the whole way. Cersei didn't make it the entire way. Well, she, pretty. She close. made it to the last season. I mean, she like made it to the last season. You know, there's she a, there, what she she she's everything but what two episodes? I think the last two episodes. I think. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Sansa made it. Arya's made it. Yeah, but I think Sansa cheated. Okay. She she found power, and you know, if you have power, you tend to live longer. Not exclusively, but... Jon Snow made it. J- okay, Jon Snow actually failed midway through and got a... And got he a, he got did a, die. He died, but yeah. they brought him back. Yeah. I know. Okay. So, um, you're going to probably... And, 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 it, and it wasn't... Uh, it wasn't an easy bit either. It wasn't JR's brother in the shower. Oh, jeez. It's going back that's Dallas. A, that's a Dallas reference, Prince and I only know that reference because of other things I've seen online because of that. Okay. I, kn- I don't remember the show. I just remember... It's Patrick th- Duffy. It's what launched his career into uh, step-by-step and then nothing else thereafter. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's okay. You can live off the returns of that one. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, Fate Stay Night, or what's better probably known as the Fate franchise, is a larger part of what's called the Natsuverse. So you know how we had Marvel had like the Marvel Cinematic Universe that's mm-hmm. kind of separate from the Marvel comic book universe? So the Natsuverse is kind of this current version of the world that's very similar to ours, but with magic. And their kind of magic is basically like anything that's kind of somewhat supernatural that you can kind of control is magic, essentially. Um, so mages are are around they're not common in the sense that like you can't they're not like doing magic everywhere and it's not a common thing to see magic happening by normal people but there are 
ma- there are mages out there. Probably maybe about like 0.1% of the population is a mage of some sort, but they're very underground. Kind of like Harry Potterish, if you will, if you will. Oh, okay. So so you have you have uh, your own your own Hogwarts sort of thing? Not really. Um, oh, everyone okay. kind of learns on their own. Um, you might have a teacher that teaches you where there's a a mage association that's been in quite a bit of a tiffle with the Holy Church. Tiffle. I like the word. Uh, the, the, it was the word of the day. Word of the day. Um, and so what all contains is this larger universe is called the Natsuverse, which is uh, penned by Kinoko Natsu, which is the main writer for for this company called Type Moon, which is what created uh, Fate Stay Night to begin with. And so uh, Type Moon really actually owes her a lot of credit to a series of what they a very popular volume a very popular media franchise known as a visual novel in Japan now obviously I don't want to really start talking about the fate franchise until I tell you what a visual novel is because you'll kind of be blown yeah, away yeah I'm like, I'm like okay visual novel but but if, so it's not so it, it's, it's not an illustrated it is okay so it, it's kind of what you think it is it's literally a visual version of a game. Uh, it's basically a storybook novel of a novelization of a game that you play through, but it's more like a choose your own adventure. So like midway through through games, you play as like a title character that's usually a silent protagonist in most cases, and people will come up to you and things will be happening around you and you have opportunities to interact. So you might be able so like as an example, like somebody might come up to you and say, How do I look today? And you can answer like you look good, or you, or you might be able to answer like, oh, you look horrible, or what the hell are you doing here? And what you say might affect the, how the story progresses. So it's, um, it's a honeycomb design that's often seen in a lot of video games that have branching paths and storylines where like they'll branch out, but eventually kind of come back in and on, on itself eventually to keep going down the story. Like writing Indiana Jones in, in Disneyland. Yeah, yeah. Like you branch off into different paths, but you always kind of converge back in the middle. Yeah, so kind of like that. Um, but again, a lot of visual novels are very popular because anybody can write a story. A story is a dime a dozen. All you absolutely need for a visual novel is just semi-decent graphics. And usually and a lot of it's just single, like, portrait or kind of like, you know, isometric shots of people. And the one thing that really changes is just, like, their face reactions. So, like, you can just have, you can have just a single body that just stands there. And their face might have different reactions. So they might be like smiling or serious or like or like frowning or just kind of a neutral face, sort of like or a deadpan face that might happen. And occasionally you might have them switch, swipping, swatch, uh, swapping costumes. The background might change from interior to houses to schools to outside of schools, stuff like that. There's minimal music that usually happens, just very light background music that kind of sets the scene. And there might be kind of what you might call like a splash page, like a nice artsy page almost, of like that kind of shows like a really cool scene. But visual novels are very easy to produce, um, which is kind of odd because there's a lot of them in Japan. It's a very popular way of of getting out there. In all honesty, um, now okay. So are these like the ones we saw them in, um, like? Corner Seven Elevens and stuff like that that came out every Wednesday or every. So those so those would be um, actual like so those would be actual uh, 
compilations of stuff. So it'd be like you bought a magazine that had a whole bunch of stories in it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you like the, the, they'd be kind of like novellas almost, where like they'd be short, short stories in there almost. But um, manga books, these manga big thing, manga takabans would have like twenty some odd stories in there as an example of a different manga that were all like anywhere from twenty two to twenty three pages long. So you'd have like twenty of them in there at a time plus ads. Um, these are, you mostly find them in game stores for the most part. Um, you might actually have to go searching for them in a game store because a lot of them are, um, erotic. Oh. Yeah. Because again, I mean, like if you can draw, I mean. Yeah, the, the, yeah the, no, I, I get it. The term they use for it is. I, I mean, I've, I've heard of that before. Yeah. So the term they use for it is an eroge, uh, E-R-O-G-E or erotic in Japanese. Uh-huh. Um, some games tend to. They're usually meant for like teen and adults. Some are titillating and on the fan servicey side, which is kind of just a nice way of saying that they do a lot of hinting but not actually showing. Or okay, they so, do a P- lot of so you have PG R and and we well, have a lot of PG thirteen R, a lot of R, and then quite a bit of X as well. Some of them are okay. straight up hentai, which is the pornographic version of Japanese uh, stuff. Hentai okay. being pervert. Uh, yeah, the literal phrasing for pervert. I, 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 I'm making a face because I just that's that's straight up. My favorite, my one of my favorite things was a guy um, who had a porcelain chicken who had a tie around its neck. So it's hen tie. Ha 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 ha. Yeah. That's cute. Um, so in this sense, Fate Stay Night is actually an eroga. It's got some titillating scenes in it and. Um, it has a couple of different ways you can go through the game as well. Um, but Fate Stay Night is actually like the third series of games in other games that uh, Type Moon has made. So their first game that they made, which also encompasses in what they call the Natsuverse, is uh, Karyu no Kai. Um, it's also, it, in Japanese, it's titled as Boundary of Emptiness. In English, it's Garden of Sinners. Um, so it goes back to kind of setting this uh, world of mages where mages exist and some of them are out there to kind of just make sure that magic doesn't get aware of by other people or to stop the weird supernatural stuff from happening so 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 sort of like so if we're going to go back to the harry potter analogy you Mm -hmm. have the that council that yeah you have the ministry of magic so you have like the ministry of magic which would be very fairly close to like the mages association in um this world here where like they manage all the mages and everything um, but there's a special group in Harry Potter called the Aurors, or Aurors, or something yes, around that yeah. line. And so this person kind of acts like that almost. She runs, um, so the lead person here, um, who is named uh, Toko Aozaki, who is, runs this detective agency that kind of just handles supernatural weird stuff. Um, but the main person in this in the series is actually a named, woman, uh, woman named Shiki Rogi, who... Um, is a paranormal investigator who basically in- investigates these weird things happenings. Um, her kind of magical ability, if you will, is she has what they call mystic eyes that let her see the mortality of stuff as lines. So when her eyes are active, she sees like a line for like a stuffed animal. And if she cuts the line with anything just as simple as like a spoon, it will, it's basically killing the morality in the puppet. And like, so for example, like if, she were to grab Dolly, which is our lovely World of Warcraft alpaca, yeah. or llama, or I think it's an alpaca, technically. Yeah, if she were to it cut it, alpaca-ish. yeah, so she sees a line through it. If she cuts it, 
it just dies. So it kind of like would start tearing apart and falling apart essentially. Uh, but she can do it for anything. So as an example, if she were to do it for uh, like a street light, it might cut the power on the street light. If she did it for, if she saw it for somebody's like cancer. She's the angel of death. A, a little bit, but I mean like she, it, it's got some extra abilities kind of in there as well. So like she can see like, if she sees your cancer, she can kind of like cut the cancer and like actually end your cancer in a certain way. It, with a certain kind of quality and skill to it, but again, she's uh, she's kind of the lead hero of this, um, and she's followed along by her good friend. And what's her name again? Is Shiki Ryogi. I'm not gonna remember. No, 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 no. I, well, I'm, I'm gonna have pictures yeah. and I'll have stuff on the website for this. Um, and then, and then she's followed along by her good friend and an eventual love interest, which is uh, Mikia Kyokuto. Uh, Kyokuto, yeah. Okay. Who's also who? Uh, well, is not magical on any particular level. He, he has the innate ability to actually just find stuff. So if he's looking for it, he'll be able to find it eventually. So he has a gift. Yeah, he's good at finding stuff and learning. So like, if he wants to, so you send him out to go find like information. He'll come back with information for you and and kind of the information you want. Um, and then uh, Shiki ends up being kind of a uh, template for. Um, the next character, which is actually uh, in the next version of this novelization that they have, in the next visual novel they have, is called Tsuke Hime, which means Lunar Princess. Um, and so it tells the story of Shiki Tona, which is kind of, again, like kind of the same model, except this guy, this time it's a male guy, who has a similar power. He sees his eye, his eyes have the ability to cut the lines of morality as well if he sees them. Mm-hmm. Um, and his story kind of does this weird thing where he deals with a lot of vampires and other magical stuff as he returns home to this prestigious family that he was kind of ostracized from because he could see weird stuff. Um, it's These other two stories are not super popular at all. Uh, Kerry Konokai got a, um, what they call an OAV uh, run at one point of films um, that kind of tell a lot of the story. It's about an eight-episode sort of thing for each one's about an hour and 15 minutes each. And I thought it was really good. Yeah. Uh, Tsukehime got an anime version of it in 2005 that was not that great. <laughs> but I just don't care for the series to begin with anyway. Yeah. Um, but Fate's the third version of this. And Fate actually would was so got so popular that they couldn't actually keep... They, they ran out of copies of it on numerous reprintings of it. Wow. And Fate's just now exploded into this massive, massive franchise at the end of the day. It's very all-encompassing with anime, manga, no, light novels, novellas, uh, video games, all sorts of stuff. Like, n- there's numerous anime spinoffs for it. And what you're seeing in front of you right now are is kind of the lead character and the uh, mascot for the Fate, seri- Fate series, which is Saber. Because she's got swords. And she has a sword, yes. Um, but to talk about the Saber is kind of to go a little bit more into the game here a little bit. Um, so, uh, um, so Fate Stay Night exists in this world where, um, basically revolves around this guy named Shiro Emiya, who unwittingly joins a battle royale of mages and heroic servants, um, in the, what they call the Holy Grail War. And as the name suggests is that you, whoever is the last victor of this war, gains the Holy Grail, which can grant any wish. And the wish could be anything from bringing people back from the dead... Ending, you know, ending world wars, um, 
peace on earth, stuff like that. Like, that's the intentions of the Holy Grail, as everyone knows it to be. Um, and so you, they typically involves um, seven different mages, essentially, who get redubbed as masters, and they seven servants. And each one of these servants um, they are basically heroic spirits. And so by heroic spirits, I mean they are people of legend. So you might summon somebody, and it's just a short list because there's a lot more that ends up coming through this. You might summon King Arthur. Oh, cool. Gilgamesh. Ale- <laughs> Alexander the Great. Medusa. Hercules. Yildire. Well, if you have Alexander the Great, do you have Cleopatra? Uh, yes, she's in here as well somewhere. Yeah, yeah. Um, you have Lancelot. Um, eventually you get... Uh, Edison and Billy the Gun in later games and just a whole slew of it. Shakespeare is actually a uh, heroic spirit at one point as well. So you have all these um, heroic spirits. Each one of them comes with a, um, not necessarily a superpower, but like some superpowers in some cases. These come with what they call a noble phantasm, which is like a um, marker of their legend. Um, it's kind of like their, it's like their most notable element. So like King Arthur would be Excalibur, as an example. Yeah. Um, Alexander the Great actually has his army. So this massive army that he traveled the world with and conquered the world with. Um, and so other other people have different stuff um, in that similar vein. Um, Hercules, as an example, has his um, 11... Um, uh, not testament, not virtues or trials, but it's... Um, I think it was like his 11 trials or something, which basically lets him, like, regain... Like, basically have like 11 lives. Um, so each have kind of like a notable sort of element to them, plus a little bit of extra stuff as well. Um, what makes this, what makes kind of the story interesting is that you can't just summon like the greatest hero of all time because they're each limited by um, the classes that they can be. So there are um, seven classes of heroes. So this way you're not all summoning just all sword fighters or all just bow and arrows or all magic people so there's a bit of a strategy to it at the end of the day um so wikipedia has a a whole thing on oh yeah 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 yeah. there's a lot of characters in this just on blade works oh yes um well we'll we'll, and so we'll we'll talk about the okay 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 sorry i'm jumping ahead no no you're good you're good um so the seven classes um which become a big deal later on uh, when you're summoned, for example, like King Arthur, um, when or as an example here, Gilgamesh, when he gets summoned, doesn't refer to himself as Gilgamesh. He refer, everyone refers to him as Archer. And the reason you refer to himself as Ar- they refer to him as their uh, uh, class names at the end of the day, is so that you don't give away who they are, which might give away tactical advantages to or strategic advantages to them. So, like if you knew that it was like Alexander the Great, for example you would know that he has a giant army that followed him around, so you might be wary of that because that'd be a big, that'd be difficult to fight against. Um, so there's stuff like that. Um, and so each class has kind of their own kind of stats. Some are really good at melee, some are good at distance, and uh, some of them have a little more specialty or uh, finesse to them. So each have different kind of uh, weaknesses and advantages that they have to them. So summoning one might be uh, better than another, depending on who it's up against in some cases. Um, so one of the classes here, as an example, is Sabres. This is primarily, this is a knight class that carries a sword with them and usually a melee weapon of uh, short to medium range. 
Uh, you have Archer, who is also a knight uh, that's usually like a bow and arrow or a guy who shoots uh, projectiles. So like it's been guns before in the past as well. Um, Lancer is a guy with kind of a medium to long range sort of lance or spear, typically, something like that. Uh, you have Berserker, which is usually kind of like your hulking sort of... It, the Hulk, essentially. Let's just say it's the Hulk. I watched Thor Ragnarok last night. Oh, wow. Yeah, so basically it's the Hulk. It's all this massive strength and no, like, you know, no, like, um, limiters or any sort of, like, you know, resistance to that. The the The... The collar or the the changer let loose. Uh, then you have the assassin class, which is um, typically the kind of people that kind of sneak up behind you and just stab you. You know, there but there also can be somebody that's good at poison, so they might poison people to death. Usually, the people that kill in in the shadows or in silence. Um, and then you have rider. These are a class of people that usually ride vehicles or animals. Um, so as an example, Alexander the Great has a chariot that he rides, which is really cool. Um, and then you have Caster, which is basically a magical person, similar to a mage, but usually a lot more magical and a lot more uh, free to use their magic in some cases. So they cast spells. They cast spells. Like if you were to like a regular like master who was a mage might be like a three, four, or five on a on a ten scale. Then a caster would probably be like a nine or a ten. You know. So they'd be like one of the best uh, magical people that would ever existed. Um, like Merlin. Merlin's in here as well. He's a caster. He's probably one of the most strongest casters that ever existed. Uh, and so each master basically gets um, takes control of one of these servants. Once all the servants have been summoned, they all fight at that point. And every, servant, every master has what they call command seals on their hands, which basically allow them to... Uh, not necessarily to control their, their heroic spirits, but the intention to be like, if I demand my servant to do something, they will do this typically. So if I were to say, I want you to kill this person, they would kill them, even if it's in, even if it's not within their interest to do so. Because they can't... So they're obedient. So they're obedient to the command spells. So it's within, your, it's within your reason as a servant to usually obey your master, because while they're, they have these command spells that they can use to command you to do something... But it's usually like a teamwork sort of thing, usually. Yeah. So like it's it's within it's within your right reason to be on good terms with your servants because that way you can better utilize them as you need to. You know, there's some servants that work really well with their with their masters, like they're they're perfectly in sync, and there's other masters and servants which actually don't get along with each other. So there's a kind of interesting dynamic. Um, some servants are actually more powerful than the master, and so the master actually is just kind of a a background element that's not actually participating in the in the war at all. They're just kind of in the shadows or directing or hitting away, hidden away in some cases. Okay. Um, and the command spells again are meant to kind of be your kind of a little bit of an ace in the hole kind of a way. Like if you really needed to use it, you could. So like let's say your servant was somewhere else and you wanted them with you right away, you could use one of them. And they would just summon to you immediately if you told them to be there. Um, as an example, but you could also force them to do stuff they don't want to do either. Question. Go ahead. So these are books that you buy. Oh, no, no, this was a single game. This is a single game. With over 100 hours of content. That over 100 hours of content. Okay. So this is a single game that you buy in a game store? Yes. Okay. Cause it's, it's, I, I, it I, sounds I, a lot more complicated than it really is. How many characters is there 
are there in this single game? If you were to play a game, how many characters would you come across? So in Fate Stay Night, you have seven masters and seven servants, so you start with 14 in total. You only ever get to play as one person, though. So you only so ever... everything's happening around you. So you're playing as Shiro Emiya, and everything's kind of happening around you, and so um, your reactions to stuff and your and your stuff can lead you to have better relationships with other characters versus uh, negative uh, attributes in other characters. And you can make literally the wrong decision that actually stops the game and gives you what they call a bad ending, where you don't get to get to the very end of the story, or you have the bad version of the story which things don't go don't end right at the end of the day versus there's good endings where like stuff the where like justice happens and everything is right with the world at the very end of the day is an example okay so because what i'm thinking is just, i mean for for a moment there was sounding rather tolstoyish where you'd have to draw a map to figure out the relationship it's, between all your characters. So, well, I mean, most of the time you don't have to really do a whole lot of work with the characters because, again, most of the characters are antagonistic to each other unless there's some sort of familiar bond with them. Most characters, again, like Lancer doesn't like Saber, so they fight each other. Archer doesn't like, you know, Lancer, so they fight each other They're because they're meant to fight each other in this battle royale. Um, and the battle royale format basically being... You go after whoever, and the last person wins, wins. You know, last person standing stands. Um, the reason I tell you a lot of this background is that it becomes... Um, it's not exactly the most important element of it, because a lot of the story revolves around the character development and um, the kind of the, the plot of the story, but it comes up frequently enough within the story that I mention it now, because it's kind of one of the more major aspects of the story, because later spinoffs of different games actually use the same original format, of like Saber, Lancer, Archer, Caster, Berserker. Oh, so many games have oh, yeah. have have exactly that sort of thing. When you go to Magic the Gathering, mm -hmm. you have you have these black cards that do certain things. You have yeah. instants and lands. You know, yeah, it carries a very similar format, which kind of prevails across the entire Fate franchise, essentially. Okay. So um, while I'm mostly trying to describe just um, the Fate franchise on its own, I'm also um, partly just describing the world, um, the game itself, because. Again, I mean, like as much as they don't, they don't seem to matter in the greater scheme of things. In some cases, um, they do um, kind of at the end of the day. Okay, so it's a game that you play out of a book. Well, no, no, no. So no, no so all the text happens in the in. So you were so you would buy this game for like your PlayStation Two as an example. You would pop it into okay, your machine. Got it. And so on your TV, you would see, oh, I'm going to play. And so they would, you here's the first chapter. Here's what kind of happens. Here's what kind of happens in that so first chapter. So you're watching TV while you're playing the game. Yes. So because all the text kind of happens at the very bottom of the screen. So I'm trying to get a good example here for you if I can. So this is, so I will put this on here. So this is kind of how it looks like. So you just get kind of like a still picture with text that kind of just floats up the screen. Okay. In some games, they might be um, so they like they relate later. So when the game originally released in two thousand four, two thousand five, about a year later, they came out with another version based off of that, where all the lines were actually read by the actors in the in the um, anime that came out for it. So you didn't have to read everything; you could listen to everything in the original voice actors. Okay, so you're playing. You're, it's it's on your TV, and you're playing it on an app. 
Yeah. So I could crunchy roll episodes and then play on my iPad. Well, well, you would play it on like so. As an example, you would play it on your iPad, um, and you would decide the things that would events that would happen there. The anime adaptations kind of assume, in a lot of cases, kind of the best outcome and just tell the story as it is. So you don't have any control over the episodes at all. Um, if you, in all honesty, if you never, you, most people in my case in particular is as an example, I've never actually played the visual novels. It's a hundred hours to get through all of it because, and that's just a lot of time to devote to something. That's like watching all of the West Wing. Okay. As an example, or probably more. It's like watching four seasons of the West Wing, essentially. If assuming every season's like 20, 20 to 25 well, episodes. Yeah. Um, so a lot of people have actually absorbed this through the anime spinoffs that have happened, um, primarily. And so what's interesting about the fake game, though, and a lot of other games as well, is that there's actually multiple what they call routes. So there's th three different stories actually built into the original game, which is where you get your like, 100 hours of content. Yeah. So you go down the road on the right, and then and then you... it tells a different story. You go down the one in the middle. So kind of like how Indiana Jones, if you remember, yeah. if you go to the left, it has a slightly different story yeah. versus the one in the middle has a different story. Except that like these stories, when they branch off, have wildly different versions of what happens in the story. Right. Whereas Indiana Jones uses the same map layout. But but, but as an analogy, as me, an it analogy, works. yeah. Okay. So yeah. So Indiana Jones is the way I would describe Fake Stay Night. Yeah. The 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 Disneyland ride, not the movies. The Disneyland ride. The Disneyland ride. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, because in grasping things, I'm sorry, I need analogies. No, no, it's How a good analogy actually. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so the world is uh, basically revolving around Shiro Emiya, and who actually is the master for Saber, which is again the main character, one of the main characters in the series. Um, she, fandom, ha fandom has a. Oh yeah, no, no, no. She she is my waifu at the end of the day. Like this is my this is my wife who I have like four figures of her. You do the five actually if you count the one in the suit too. Oh, I see the one in the suit. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean these are amazing. I mean these the the detail on these are so yeah, incredible. So, these are, so yeah, so if you remember when we were in Japan during Akihabara, these were yeah. some of the figurines that we had that we saw there. Um, and again, uh, had I... No, did you buy these when, when we were in Japan, or you didn't see anything different? No, I didn't buy any of these uh, when I was in Japan. Um, you most, already owned them. and Well, mostly because the ones that, um, the ones that if I were to buy it brand new were, were several hundreds of dollars. Okay. Um, these ones right here are used, and so we're a lot cheaper. Right. Um, but had I realized that the bottom portion of Akihabara, that one Akihabara store, was just the used models that people were reselling, like I might have reconsidered that in a lot of cases because uh, a big deal in japan is with their figurines is that you hold on to it for a while and then you sell it or consignment to the store to have them sell it for you so you can get the new thing you want to put on your shelf yeah. instead yeah no it actually was very cool that way mm -hmm. um very well curated as well yeah yeah no, there's a lot of selection and all mm -hmm. sorts of stuff yeah. oh yeah absolutely it's pretty impressive i like Ak akihabara a lot it was a lot of fun a little yeah. electric light town yeah it's where we also found a no, that wasn't where we found uh, the uh, robot restaurant as well. That was a little the, bit. That was that was more more centralized. Mm -hmm. which, um, was, which is still just equally as cool. I, I still love it. Explaining to people is like, so we found the most Western thing you can find. That was still the most Japanese thing you could find in in Japan. It, 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 and, and I keep telling people, it's kitschy. It's like going to the night thing, 
like if you went to a, a uh, one of those mid you know medieval medieval festival dinners mm-hmm. it's like going to that in its own way but it's it's the robot version and it's totally worth doing it it was one of my favorite I mean, really it, it was on my my top 10 list so so the way I would describe it, it was like it's like going to a dinner theater with like the horses or whatever it is right but watching Fantasia as well from Disneyland how they go they go around the moat yeah that's very unnecessarily self-aware of itself yeah oh yeah no it's very campy <laughs> and pokes fun and and um, I think at one point there's a show called copyright. It, yeah. Because it's like, oh, what else will we bring in now? Pokemon, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles, Transformers, like Power Rangers. Power Rangers, like, let's just throw it all in here. The, the, and again, mostly American people that were there. It was definitely a tourist thing. It, mm-hmm. You know, it was definitely a tourist thing, and you you have to sit outside and wait for cocktails um, to get in. But it had cool people playing music. And robot, yeah, it robot. had yeah yeah it had robots playing music. Um, I mean, they weren't robots. There, there were, were people, people, but, people yeah. dressed as robots, but, um, but totally worth doing. That was that was. Oh, that was a great way to end. That oh, was that a great was, way to end Japan. Oh, it was awesome. It was the, yeah. It was the perfect ending. It was the perfect ending. So um, so back to fate here. So there are, so this Holy Grail War is this, is not just what it seems initially. Actually, so within the Fate franchise, you learn this in one of the later routes is that the Holy Grail War is not actually intended to grant wishes. It's actually an intention to um, go to kind of what they call the root of all magic, which they literally call it the root, um, in order to gain what they call true magic. So what everyone else does is kind of like parlor magic, kind of, kind of anybody can do. Right. What they count as true magic is magic that nobody else has the ability to do. The pin and teller of magic. Yeah, so like kind of the most uh, prestigious sort of like nobody can ever do these abilities ever. Um, it's also kind of noted that if you reach the route, you have the ability to kind of like see into the future, see into the past, and kind of be omniscient and all-knowing as well. So it's kind of what, and so the intent- tremendous power. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the point of the Holy Grail War is actually to summon these heroic spirits, which in and of themselves have a great deal of mana within them. When each one of them dies, their mana is actually returned to the Holy Grail from which they're summoned from. And eventually, if there are enough uh, enough mana in the Holy Grail, you can actually activate what they call the Greater Grail, Greater Grail which is kind of the portal that leads you to the root, in theory. Um, there's a flaw in it, though, that only servants can hold the Holy Grail. A master can't actually hold the Holy Grail, and you need all seven servants to die to be able to just summon the Holy Grail properly. But eventually... Poor servants! Well, but keep in mind, there... They're already heroic servants that have been dead for a while, and so they're just—they're literally, literally just like holograms of mana that can actually still lift up stuff. So if you remember back to like Star Trek, where you had holograms that yeah. can intera- interact with people, they're much in the same way like that, but they're being lifted up or being propelled up by mana from their masters at the end of the day. So as long as their master is a, is is around, they can provide them with mana that not only sustains them but also like repairs them and heals them at a certain point um but all that matter from the heroic servants that actually is what summons the holy grail okay um when we get to the timeline of fate stay night this is actually the fifth holy grail war um with the other four wars not actually having a victor at all oddly enough there's nobody who's actually won the holy grail wars so so nobody's gained the magic nobody nobody's actually gained the magic 
But what ended up happening is that during the Third War, which happened just, which started literally the night of World War Two, the, the day before World War Two started. So okay. You can see how long so so we're back in time. We go back in time. And, and where are we geographically? We are in a city called Fuki City, which is which was chosen back in nineteen back in seventeen ninety uh, by these mages because. At the time in the West, there was this huge fight between the Mages Association and the Holy Church. And so what they decided on doing was they were going to do this war. They were originally going to do this war and this uh, event in Japan because Westerners hadn't gotten to Japan yet at that point. And there was a note, there was the theory that because Fuyuki kind of lays on, uh, lays on a, what they call a ley line, which is this ideal place for mana, that that would be the best place to do it at. Well, interestingly enough, Japan very uh, militantly kept traders out mm-hmm. and forced them to trade from um, some of the some of the more distant islands and brought goods there. Primarily the southern tip of Japan, which is where right. Fuki City is theoretically located at in the Hokkaido region. Yeah, I mean, from a history perspective, it's very interesting because they didn't want their culture to be tampered with right i mean they had they'd had some dutch in and the dutch had been that had not been a good influence mm-hmm. and um and so they decided no we we're just going to keep you at, at they literally length. they literally well at one point they literally kept the dutch traders in a small portion of southern japan right within what would be kind of like the size of a couple high schools or at least the large american high schools yeah um and um, they wouldn't actually let them leave by boat to go back home because they were afraid that if they got they went back home they'd bring more people. Yeah. Um, it wasn't until the Americans kind of came by after um, the Civil War and kind of in the late and kind of in the very early in late nineteen late eighteen hundreds early nineteen hundreds mm-hmm. um, and basically said, "Hi, we're America. We want you to open up your borders. We'll come back in a year, and if you haven't opened up your borders at that point." We'll force them open for you because yeah. we want to trade with you. Yeah. And then Japan was like, okay, well, they're a lot more technologically advanced, so we're not going to say no. Yeah. But we're going to catch up in a real quick. And they yeah. did. So. Yeah. And they did. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an interesting thing because you, um, from a purely history standpoint, you know, the, the search for the Holy Grail, mm-hmm. um, you know, back in, in medieval, pre medieval times, um, really pushed uh, what we think of as Western culture um, into uh, areas like Greece, like Turkey. Um, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, yeah, uh, lots of places where it um, it had not been or had not been widely spread. And so the, the, the search for the Holy Grail and that, that whole, you know, many year, many, many, many year um, process actually um, destroyed cultures or polluted cultures mm-hmm. no absolutely um which is also kind of interesting when you look at the fate uh, series in itself almost all the noble su- noble heroic spirits that are summoned are western spirits hercules medusa uh, king arthur gilgamesh there's a lot of things from western culture in a lot of cases yeah um there's very few um with kind of i think one lone exception is a japanese guy who's summoned as a heroic spirit, but most of them are uh, Westerners for the most part of some of some variation. Um, or either Western folktales, Western peop- Western um, 
characters in the sense of being European or American or of, of, of Anglo-Saxon whiteness is probably the best way to put that. That's interesting because they certainly have their own, it was very futile, mm-hmm. but they certainly had their own heroes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and the fact that they didn't use that I think is kind of interesting because maybe, I think maybe the initial intention was that they wanted to do something that was different, it stood out from itself, so not relying on their own heroes was kind of a way to kind of differentiate themselves. Because even in later games, you don't see a lot of actual Japanese uh, heroes at all. Like, you see a couple of them that come up every so often, but not, but it's mostly predominantly dominated by Western-influenced heroes at the end of the day. That's really interesting. So some of the, so uh, what eventually ended up happening during this Holy Grail War, during the third version of it, is that they actually found a rare eighth uh, hero, or the class of heroes called Avenger, um, that ended up replacing the Berserker class. And it was, because it wasn't a part of the normal format, it was kind of a corrupted spirit that corrupted the Holy Grail itself. So now the Holy Grail, when we get to the fourth and fifth... Is this like good chaos or bad chaos? Like evil chaos. Evil chaos. So okay. yeah, so like... Um, so what ended up happening here is that by the fourth and fifth Holy Grail War, the Holy Grail itself is doesn't work the right right way anymore. And instead of summoning, so instead of actually granting a wish at the end of the day, it actually like reaches out and actually kind of does the opposite. And so if you said, as an example, I want to bring back somebody, you would end up actually just killing a whole bunch of other people. Uh, and which is very much unknown to almost all the characters at this point. Nobody really realizes it until it's too late that the Holy Grail itself has been corrupted. And so what ends up happening here is that despite the noble intentions of the Holy Grail War, it doesn't end up quite right for everybody later on. And and it becomes kind of a focal point um, in some of the other routes that happen within Fate, uh, the Fate series. So there's uh, three major routes that each kind of um, take on a more major protagonist and their servant at the end of the day. Um, so you have the fate route, which primarily uh, focuses, which is primarily kind of on the world building side, but also kind of setting the lore and what kind of how the world works, sort of thing. And it primarily focuses on um, Shiro Emiya and Saber as the lead heroine for it. Um, now, Shiro Emiya, em, em, Emiya, Emiya, is a guy. Yes. Okay. And Saber, obviously. Saber is a woman, but you'll never actually guess what kind of woman she is. She is is King Arthur. Oh, that's interesting because she's blonde and blue-eyed and very Western-looking. So so in the Natsu-verse, this happens kind of somewhat frequently where where legendary male characters were actually females in a lot of cases. So... It was so even oh, though I like the I like the reversal. Yeah, so instead of being King Arthur, it was actually uh, it was actually you still she she was still known as King Arthur, but her real name was Artoria Pendragon, and so she was and so she pulled Excalibur from the stone, and the notion was that she did so with the notion that she would become the king of kings. She would separate her gender. Uh, she wouldn't be consider herself a woman anymore. She would consider herself. A king, and so she acted in a very male way, um, and actually, for all extensive purposes, was a male in some cases. Um, so that's kind of what I found interesting is that there's a cool, interesting kind of reversal of it of the of some of the characters that happens in the series. So from what you think the characters would be versus what they 
ended up actually being. Because um, as an example, like Alexander the Great mm-hmm. um, is a, you know, you would think it would be, very, be kind of a very noble, kind of, you know, manly sort of guy at the end of the day. Um, they would just have, because I think of Alexander the Great and I think of uh, the movie that happened. Oh, God. Oh, 300? Not 300. No. So that's Leonidas in the yeah, Greeks. Yeah, I'm sorry. Uh, but uh, Alexander the Great, there was a movie about him back in the early 2000s that didn't get well-reviewed. Uh, but you would think of him as kind of like this noble leader that was like a conqueror here. Oh, he's fascinating because he was apparently very charismatic. Mm-hmm. So this version plays very much on... This one kind of plays on the... Um, if I if I use the word Chad, does that mean anything to you? Do you know what a Karen is? I do know what a Karen is. Karen, a Chad is kind of like the douchebaggy sort of frat bro kind of guy. Oh. So that's kind of what... So like like a, a Spicoli? Yes. Okay. Yeah, so kind of... So, it was, so, we, so like some people call some people, some guys like, oh, that's a Chad. Because they're kind of a little douchey frat boy kind of kind of vibe to him. Uh, Alexander Great's kind of like that, where he's very charis- charismatic and very kind of boisterous, um, but he's the total like steal of the show whenever he's there because he's loud and obnoxious and just perfect. We 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 deal with a real estate broker, and I was in a meeting one time, and um, and the broker wasn't there. Um, a meeting um, with our ownership and. And I, I said, oh, you mean Spicoli? And they all just died laughing because they knew exactly who I meant. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there is there is a type. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, so some of the characters get reimagined a little bit. Um, as, for example, like Medusa doesn't have snakes in her hair, but she does oh. have a piercing gaze. Um, she rides a Pegasus. She's a writer of the writer class. She rides a Pegasus. I wouldn't think Pegasus would get near her. No, she rides a. She, she's, Interesting. She's a writer class because she literally rides. But she's a, still female, so they haven't flipped her gender. No, not that one. A lot. In a lot of cases, they don't flip the 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 females to males. They've often flipped the females to males. So Alexander. Or the males to females. Excuse me. Alexander the Great is still. Is still a dude. Still a, a, a fair majority of these are dudes. That they don't. If they do it, they do it like once or twice. Like, uh, as an example. So so William Shakespeare doesn't become Wilhelmina. No, no, no. William Shakespeare, William Shakespeare actually has got kind of a, a cool ability. His noble phantasm or special ability lets him write out stories for other people and has him, has the person live out that story. Oh, kind of like the movie with Will Ferrell. Yeah. So like he so he writes out a narrative of what happens and the character who gets caught in that web um, lives out that scenario that he that he writes out. So like if he so if he wanted to paint for you like the ultimate family life, like he would present to you, he would write a scenario in which you were like in the ultimate family life that you had always dreamed of, yet you would be the only one there acting it out and nobody else would see what you're seeing and you would just be like an open target. Interesting. Yeah, so he's kind of, yeah, so some people, again, some people are like cool stuff. Like there's, um, one woman literally has um, the Hanging Gardens oh, of Babylon. Babylon, yeah. Yeah, so one that's literally one woman's phantasm. Um, another person, uh, Dracula makes an appearance in one of these, um, but he's, but he's known, yeah, that's an interesting but he's, dude, but he's, known as, uh, but he's, uh, he's known as, uh, not Vlad the Impaler, but he's known as, uh, something Trapaz. Um, so one of the, one of the story, one of the very spinoffs actually, uh, resides in, um, where Dracula lives at in, um, oh, why can't I think of it? In Transyl- kind Transylvania, of like in yeah. the Transylvania countryside, 
And because he is a, because they summoned him in particular as Vlad, as the Vlad the Conqueror or Vlad the Impaler, um, he actually can he actually gets a bonus in this area because he's from the area. So he's like even more powerful. And what he does is he has a spear that when he puts it in the ground, more spears come in and impale his enemies on spikes. Oh, very interesting. So he's not sucking blood. No, 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 no. Um, That's actually kind of. he can't. He that's actually kind of a trump card that gets used later because he actually does turn into Dracula later, but um, against his will. Okay. So they, like they summon the nicer version of him. Initially. It's interesting. The original Bram Stoker book um, doesn't. Uh, it's actually very sexual, but oh yes, um, vampires but, themselves have always been sexual control, by, yeah. like, by yeah, their nature. They just are, and. Um, but the original book isn't isn't the same as as the retelling that you you get. People have added yeah. more fan service and more fan fiction onto yeah. it that, that eventually just becomes what you think it actually is. Frankenstein as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, some characters get gender bent a little bit, but it's usually only like once, once or twice. Like as an example, Mordred, which he would he would think is the son of King Arthur, uh, is a woman as well. And is actually and literally refers to himself as the son of King Arthur, even though it's a woman. Even though it's a woman, she, uh, Mordred's also also like the best wingman ever. Interesting. Yeah, like like uh, him, um, Mordred and his ma- and her master, I guess at the end of the day, um, are like it's like a father daughter pair that like are totally in sync with one another. And they just watching just like their best moments of them riffing with each other is hilarious because they're all they're just so perfect, but more just like the ultimate wingman. Interesting. Yeah. So again, yeah. So you have some characters that work really well with one another, um, but in in the Fate franchise, though, as an example, uh, Shiro and Saber actually don't work well with one another. Um, Shiro can't look past Saber being a woman. And as a result of only kind of seeing her as a woman, he often doesn't let her do the battles. He often feels that he has to be uh, chivalrous and take the damage or protect her from getting hurt. When, if she got hurt, she would be perfectly fine because she's a one of the greatest swordsmen that ever lived. Um, and so Shira ends up and unintentionally putting himself in a lot more harm's way and trying to stop Saber from getting hurt, which actually just hinders Saber in a lot of cases. Um, so again, like some some pairs work well together. Interesting. Um, so so that's major. That's primarily the fate route. Primarily revolves around that, uh, the world building and kind of setting up the game that you will be playing for the next forever hours in some cases. Okay. The next route is known as the unlimited blade blade works. So this is the one that kind of comes up as the more popular route in a lot of cases because it has more character development in it. Um, so if you watch, so if you played the first version of the game, you played through a lot of the characters um, and saw glimpses of them and saw a lot of their personality. This one kind of is a lot more character driven in a lot of cases. It focuses on uh, one of the major uh, focuses on a girl named Rin Tosaka, or just Rin, um, and her servant Archer. So uh, Rin is a the daughter of a noble fa- of a noble mage's family that started the Holy Grail Wars, um, and so they're automatically built. They basically got yeah. a golden ticket into the war whenever they want to get jump into it um and so she summons archer which um is a weird servant because he doesn't remember who he's the heroic spirit of 
Oh. He doesn't he doesn't know who he's the heroic spirit for. He doesn't know he doesn't know his own name. I thought you said it that was Gilgamesh. So again, so different. So oh, multiple archers. Okay. Yeah. So, so yeah. So okay. so again, so every war has just those seven servants. Um, so Gilgamesh is an archer in the fourth Holy Grail War. Okay. Um, but by the time of the fifth Holy Grail War, which is Fate Stay Night, um, Archer in this case is a noble is a noble spirit who doesn't know who he actually is. And oddly enough, he actually. Um, doesn't actually fight in a normal way either because he primarily fights with swords. And so what he does, what Archer does, is that he can actually summon swords um, at infinitum. As many as you want. As many as you want. And what he does is he takes, he actually summons noble phantasms, so other heroic weapons and, spe- and swords. If, if he can see the sword, he can make the sword, essentially, in his mind and pull it out. It's not the same quality as the original, as an example, so, like, um, so as an example, Saber wields Excalibur. Mm-hmm. And so if Archer was to create Excalibur, it'd be just as strong as a, norm, as a normal, normal, as a normal uh, noble phantasm, <laughs> but against the original uh, Excalibur, it'd be... Of inferior. A, it'd be inferior. It's like, it's an A versus a B. Yeah. Uh, but what he does is he actually takes the weapons that he makes um, in his mind, turns them into arrows, and then he shoots them at people... And when they land, they explode spectacularly. So that's so that's how he. Uh, so so, so you're all Molotov uh, sword. Yes, yeah. So he again, that's how he becomes an archer. Okay. Um, and so the story here primarily is around the various characters, and there's a lot of betrayals and a lot of uh, twisting and turning that happens within the series, which is kind of cool, um, or at least what I find to be one of the better parts of the series. Um, and so Unlimited Blade Works is also probably one of the more superior um, anime adaptations as well. So all the routes have had ad- anime adaptations with uh, the Fate Fate route um, having been first done in 2016, or excuse me, 2006. Um, and for what it was, we were all happy with that. We weren't going to be upset about it. We were all happy about it. Until um, a spinoff called Fate Zero and then Fate Stay Night Unlimited Blade Works came out. And then we all like just dropped our collective shit. We were like, ah! It's so good. Yeah, there's lots of uh, there's lots on the internet for 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 unlimited blade works. I would imagine you'll see a yeah you see a uh, you'll see a, uh, like a dark skinned guy with white hair that's got a kind of a red and black kind of uh, outfit to him. That is Archer. Okay. And then you'll see a girl with uh, two uh, twin tails or um, kind of like the ponies ponytails yeah. on the side. That is uh, black hair. Uh, usually, where it's like a red jacket or a red top. At, that is Rin. Like Kylo Ren? No. Um, well, Ren is just her first name. I, yeah. No, I so. got it. I got it. I, I'm just. <laughs> I'm just. I'm, I'm just having too much fun. Um, and then so the last one is actually uh, the last route is known as the Heaven's Feel route, and the Heaven's Feel route uh, primarily deals with a girl named uh, Sakura Mato and her servant Ryder, which is again Medusa. Um, and this one is the more is the darker version of the of the retelling of the Fate Stay Night story. Um, because it also deals into the machinations of what happened in some machinations in the previous war. It's also kind of the more uh, violent and more darker kind of aspect. Um, yes, that would be Archer right there. Okay. Um, and so uh, Heaven's Feel got released as a series of movies over the last three years, uh, with the latest movie having come out here in 
2000, uh, here just in August of 2020, here as an example. Oh, good timing because they've got lots of people homebound with nothing to do. Oh, it released in theaters. Heaven's Feel? Heaven's Feel, yeah. Um, and so you'll see you'll see often a, a light purple-haired girl and usually like a white dress typically. Um, so that would be Sak- uh, Sakura. She is, um, she is a magus in a way, um, but she doesn't practice it openly. And she becomes, uh, she is also from a uh, prestigious sort of... Uh, now that, that looks very different than the others. The others are very colorful and this one's very subdued and pastel. So, um, the, so the company that has done the Fate Zero, Fate, uh, Fate Stay Night, Unlimited Playworks, and then Heaven's Feel um, is a company called U- uh, UFO Table. So UFO Table, but it's, it's literally pronounced as UFO Table. Uh, so um, a lot of the art for it is very kind of pastel-y a little bit, um, very kind of subdued colors because the story itself is kind of a very subdued, dark story. Uh, but I assure you that the movie is very bright and colorful, is somewhat colorful as well. Um, Ufo Table is uh, kind of like the gold standard for animation companies because they end up doing, for the same budget you would have for a normal anime series, maybe just a little bit more, they do amazing work that looks just absolutely beautiful and gorgeous the entire way through versus, versus other companies that don't do as much with their money. Um, and a lot of that have, have to do because they do a lot of... Um, they only animate the characters. They don't animate the backgrounds or all the other stuff. They actually do that in 3D modeling. And because, you spend, because you're able to spend a very short amount of time doing 3D modeling versus actually painting a background, right. yeah. um, they found a way to kind of colorize it so that way it fits in with the characters and they composite with the characters primarily. And a lot of the special effects and kind of uh, glowing kind of aspects of the characters are all done in... CGI versus versus animate versus by hand drawing or animating it, so you can spend more time on the individual characters and then have this beautiful backdrop and other elements that are happening along with it, which is well composited at the end of the day, okay. which is the real kind of trick to it at the end of the day. Um, because if you, because um, again, I mean, if you go back to like, some movies like uh, Toy Story as an example, you remember how everything just kind of looks like it fits in there perfectly. Yeah. It's because of, um, in a lot of those cases, they were actually literally still shotting the actual world. Yeah. So it wasn't... And then drawing over. Well, no, no, no. It was the the actual set shot by shot by shot by shot with the computer filling in the the objectives on there. Um, But with a lot of animation, what you'll do is you will have the characters, which are animated separately from the background. And so in the case of, like, Toy Story, as an example, because it's all done... It, like you would on a movie set, essentially. Everything's already composited with together, everything naturally, so yeah. there's no gradients or anything like that to mess with. The light shines on, shines down, and it mixes with everything. Right. Versus in... Your ad- shadows are, are Your shadows are all appropriate yeah. for, what, for whatever the light is because it matches <clears throat> everything else in the room. Uh, versus in animation, you have to do a lot of compositing, which is becoming a very rare element to find good compositors in animation because there's a lot of bad anime compositing between the backgrounds and a lot of these CGI stuff that they're trying to do now. Yeah. Um, but UFO Tables found the great blend to do it. There's um, a great series on Netflix called Violet Evergarden, which is probably the most beautiful thing you'll ever see in an really? anime. Like, it's gorgeous looking, and it's still, like... I think it came out in 2018, 2017. It is gorgeous looking. I'll have to go to take. Oh a look. yeah, it's um. So as a quick aside, Violet Evergarden tells the story of a 
um, former uh, of a girl who was a former child soldier. Um, and then when I mean child soldier, I mean literally mean like she was like eleven or twelve. Mm-hmm. Um, she loses both of her arms and they're replaced uh, her lower arms and they're replaced with mechanical hands. And after this kind of medieval kind of World War Two esque uh, World War One kind of era war, um, she ends up becoming a typewriter specialist who writes letters for people. Um, and what they call an auto memory doll because she writes is basically you would like I want to write a love story. I want to write a love letter to my boyfriend. She would write it in a way that, you, while you conveyed your feelings to her, she would actually convey it on paper and make it look pretty and nice. Yeah. So she'd be she's like the poet to what your feelings were. Yeah. Um, and so she travels kind of around, her the city around the kind of the country kind of, and she basically just writes letters for people, and it's again like as much as it sounds kind of silly and dumb, it's interesting because Violet Evergarden has no understanding of what love or feelings are for the most part. She's a very stoic character. And over the course of the series, she actually learns what it means to love and to have feelings for that in that kind of way. So it's, it's very touching and heartwarming. There's a literal episode that if you make me watch it, makes me cry at the end every single episode. Oh, Yeah. Very few cute. animes. There's there's like a couple anime that have done that. Um, Full Metal Alchemist has a scene in one of the episodes that makes me cry every time I watch it. Because it's so heart wrenching the way one of the one of the events happens in it, this is the other one that does it too. Um, but again, anime that makes me cry is like total win in my book. Yeah, yeah, it's drawing on emotions. Mm-hmm. So this is primarily the Fate series, um, the Fate Stay Night in and of itself, kind of. But there's a lot of spinoffs. Okay. Um, so the one I touched on here, um, which is kind of the best way I recommend. Uh, getting into fate is actually from a is so and thankfully this is all available on netflix and it's in great english dub quality as well so this is how this will be part of your homework here this week okay um so there's a series uh, originally started as, a, as what they call light novels so light novels in japan are kind of a maximum five uh, fifty thousand words essentially okay um they're meant for kind of like teenagers and people who are kind of like on the train to read um and where like they typically would comprise like one or two episodes of an anime, because a lot of a lot of anime are actually based off of light novels. Um, so they're very meant to be like they're meant to be. Here's something that happened in this world, and maybe it's a part of a timeline that happens, or maybe this is like the third event that happens in there. But it's a part. But they're usually just. But it could stand alone. It could stand alone if you just knew what the, the what the theme of the story was. Yeah. Um, a great example is Sword Art Online was a very popular light novel that became an anime and they literally just took the individual chapters and light novel books which usually contained about one to two to sometimes three episodes each and that's how they were able to get away with the with uh sword Art online as an example uh but fate zero actually tells of the fourth holy grail war um in which um kitsurugi emia which is shiro's adopted father is fighting with our our own saber here, King Arthur saber, in uh, the Fourth Holy Grail War, and um, this is the war. And this one is a kind of the more proper war where it doesn't involve children or teenagers, rather, because the other Face Day Night includes uh, Shiro Emiya, who's in high school, Rin, who's also in high school. They're like either juniors or seniors. I want to say they're like seniors. I think mm-hmm. um, you've got Ilya. Um, 
Ilya Vasil von Eisenberg. It's a nice... It's a nice, long, unnecessary German name. Yeah. Um, who's like 12, 13 years old fighting with Hercules. Or Berserker, as he's known in this case. Yeah. Um, it's a very kind of touching thing. She's very cute and very soft and very polite, but now you have to die. Get them, her get them, Berserker. Like, it's her deal. It's very, it's, it's, it's funny to watch her do stuff because she sounds very nice and polite about it, and she's asking and wishing for your death. Yeah. Why? Well, hey. <laughs> um, so but do it with a smile. And, and a small little girl with red eyes and, and long white hair. Um, so Fate Zero actually tells of the events that happened ten years prior. So the events in the Fate Stay Nights happened in two thousand four, and so these happened in nineteen ninety four. Same thing in Fuki City. Um, and tells of another Holy Grail war, which doesn't end properly. But what's interesting about it is that it sets up a lot of stuff that happened for Fate Stay Night, because it directly references it and continues yeah. with it. Um, and so in some cases, some people say, oh, if you watch Fate Zero, it spoils Fate Stay Night, but if you watch Fate Stay Night, it spoils Fate Zero. But that's kind of the same way of saying, if you watch the original Star Wars trilogy, it basically spoils the prequels because you know what ends up happening but if you watch the prequels it spoils the, the original trilogy so because you know who his father is yeah so i mean like don't worry about it fate zero is a speaking of which mm -hmm. there's another one of the commercials out with patrick stewart and and have you seen the second one Oh, there's like there's about a there's about a half dozen of them. Are there? I've um, only I've, seen two so far. So there's just, so, so what we're talking about is Uber Eats has this series of commercials with Patrick Stewart and Mark Hamill kind of riffing with each other, and they're hilarious. I'm my daddy. Because Patrick Stewart's like propping up his kind of like you know Jean Luc Picard, very British, uh, very British kind of sense, and Mark Hamill's playing Tomatoes. up uh, Mark Hamill's playing up this kind of like version of Mark Hamill, which is, keep in mind, like, Mark Hamill's also well-known as the voice of the Joker. Yeah, and, yeah. Which comes out a couple I mean, times. It isn't, it? It, isn't a, uh, it isn't a Luke Skywalker Mark Hamill. No, no, no. This is a very kind of insane Mark, Mark well, Hamill. It's very street. But I, lo I love these commercials just because you have these two guys in the same place, because if you think about it on a certain level, like, Patrick Stewart's, like, 80 years old. Yeah. And Mark Hamill's, like, 69, 70 years old. And this is the first time you've had them in together in commercials and some sort of work. Yeah. They haven't been together in actual work, in actually any sort of actual work before. Yeah. Which is awesome. It is. Because it's, it's probably well the only time we'll ever get to see it. And it's and the fact that it's funny and I don't care what it's advertising, I will I, I will use Uber Eats well, now. They, they show, well, they show the food being delivered. Yeah. I mean, and that's kind of like, yeah. like the backdrop to what they're doing. Yeah. Because they're usually, because they're playing games with one another, aren't they? Literally, like one of them. The one's got a cricket stick, and the other's got a bat. Or one of them, they're playing Connect Four. Oh, I haven't seen the Connect Four one. What I saw was a foosball one. Okay, yeah. So yeah, they're playing games with one another essentially. Yeah. So yeah, definitely yeah. a great watch. Star Star Trek versus Star Wars. Mm -hmm. The great debate. Well, uh, some debates are, are. I I won't pick a side. I have my okay. side. I'm not going to say it out loud. Okay. Um, but yeah, so I recommend actually Fate Zero because it's a great, it's a good series at the end of the day. And having watched that, you will be prepared for Fate Stay Night, um, and it's multiple different works if you decide to keep going with it. Um, you have another spinoff, which is no, uh, which was also, so this one came out in. So the next series here is called Fate Hollow Anorexia, um, 
which is uh, it's Roman for something. I can't remember what it is, but um, it basically takes uh, place six months after the Fate Stay Night series as another mage who was intended to be in the Fifth Holy Grail War is actually in a coma and reliving certain events um, and replaying the events of Fate Stay Night. Okay. So it's a was essentially meant to be a sequel to it, but doesn't um, highlight any of the events that doesn't say which actual is the true true ending of Fate Fate Stay Night, whether it's the Fate route, the Unlimited Blade Works, or the Heaven Feel route, because each one of them ends in a very different fashion. Um, so it doesn't say which one is the true ending at all, and leaves it up to the imagination, but just tells the events in there, and then they kind of go back and forth. So it came out in two thousand and six because Fate Stay Night was such a big deal um there is another version of uh the fate series um so keep in mind that um miss kinako natsu actually had a rewrote face day night four or five different times initially um the idea was in there and solid and the version that would have happened had they not switched around some of the characters was that there was a series called um, that we now know as fate prototype uh, would have had a traditional like male version of king arthur Mm -hmm. um, and a kind of female version of Shiro Emiya, who was a proper wizard of mages at that point. Um, and some of the other characters kind of get mixed around, so like Rin's in there, and so is Lancer, who is another character, um, and a couple other characters. Uh, Gilgamesh is there as well. Um, but different interpretations of what those characters were initially. Um, so it's kind of like, what if Harry Potter? Yeah. Before Harry Potter was Harry Potter. Um, then you first uh, then you have what is the first true spinoff um, that doesn't revolve around the Holy Grail War of Fate Stay Night, but a like how best to put this. So you know how like uh, there's the original Superman with um, uh, not Matt Reeves, but who is um, the 1970s version of, of Superman? Christopher Reeves. Christopher Reeves, excuse me. And then you have like the modern version of Superman that's done by. Uh, Cavill. Uh-huh. So this is kind of like that. So we're like, it's 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 the same character. It's kind of the same. It's a completely different world, but it's still the same world. Just a different version of it. You could uh, do that with Batman, too. Batman, too. Yeah. Yeah. Batman's a, probably a better example. Um, so this one is known as Fate Apocrypha. Um, in this version, during the Third Holy Grail War, it's presumed that one of the masters actually stole the Holy Grail and basically used it to move his soul from one host to another body to keep himself immortal. And in order to keep the Holy Grail, allowing him to keep doing that, he decided to have an even bigger Holy Grail war. So instead of, so what they've done is they've had, they have two sides of masters. They, uh, they have a red side and a black side. Uh -huh. Each are summoning their own servants. So there's now 14 servants in total. And then instead of fighting a battle royale, they're actually fighting a war between the red side and the black side. So Mordred um, is the saber of the red side, as an example. But this is also where you get uh, Shakespeare, um, you get uh, Achilles at one point, who's a, who's another person. You get um, a bunch of other cool kind of characters that happen here. I think you get uh, uh, not Archimedes, somebody else. It'd Archimedes would be good. Be cool, yeah. Um, well, you 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 so. A it's interesting. So it's it's fate apocrypha. So it's called fate apocrypha, and again, it, it reimagines. Well, you, so apocrypha mm -hmm. refers to something that that is um, unproven, um, possibly untrue. Mm -hmm. 
Um, this this series, though, is most notable because it includes Joan of Arc as a rare eighth uh, servant known as the... Um, what do I call, what do I have a Carl? Oh, Joan of Arc is so my girl. Oh yeah, no, she's she's probably like one of the coolest servants here. She's known as a ruler class, um, and the ruler class is kind of meant to be summoned um, as a neutral judge that kind of pops in when things aren't going right. So in this case, because the two factions are fighting one another, they're not supposed to be two ser- two sabers, two archers, two lancers, so- somewhat. She's there as a neutral body meant to um, arbitrate the war in this case. And so the next series I want to talk about is actually called Fate Extra. Another spinoff that kind of reimagines the world. This version of the Holy Grail War is a digital version. This version um, imagines that the world ran out of mana. And so this digital version is trying to recreate mana digitally to eventually make into reality and uses uh, a large giant tournament to figure out who will be the one to gain a wish thus create recreate mana it includes a saber that's not technically saber oddly enough so she looks exactly like saber in red Mm -hmm. but it is but she doesn't but she's not the king arthur version of saber she is and i have my notes here she is Nero Claudius Caesar, the fifth Roman emperor. Going back in time. Oh yeah, I, again. I mean, like they again. They love their Western uh, yeah. mythology here. Um, and so, in this version, you play as a hero that summons um, Nero here, as as we properly re- re- recall her, um, who is this very. Where the um, where the are the King Arthur version of Saber is kind of a very reserved, stoic sort of knightly sort of like chivalrous person. It's yeah. Uh, Saber's often described that it's a guy that technically is a girl, but it's a guy primarily. Yeah. Um, Nero is a very brash, haughty, very kind of like oh, ho, 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 kind of kind of character at the end of the day. Oh. Um, and her her special uh, noble phantasm. Uh, lets her summon her uh, playhouse essentially. Um, her uh, Roman, her so there's a famous Roman like uh, yeah, I'm not the Colosseum, but the there's a playhouse that that yeah. he had commissioned. Yeah. Um, when she's in there, anything she really wants to have happen happens. happens. Um, and so much in the fact that she originally wasn't a saber class; she was originally supposed to be summoned as a rider class. But because of her, what they call of her uh, noble lineage or noble, I mean, basically, if you were an emperor, you kind of come out as a saber, which is considered one of the most uh, powerful or most prestigious classes yeah. to be. So that's that version. Uh, one of my favorite versions is actually something known as Carnival Phantasm. It's a very light-hearted version of um, of the Natsu verse, where all the characters are not in a war they're not openly fighting each other they're just living their lives but all of their character traits are like boosted up to like 11. so they're themselves emphasized yeah and in a lot of cases in some in in some particular cases um it's a lot of what the fans have kind of self-interpreted so as an example um for saber here uh saber and a lot of kind of fan interpretations um, is always hungry. She is waiting for Shiro to come home and cook her dinner. 
Kashiro likes Kashiro cooks food, but they are expecting her that she is always she is always be like, Shiro, can we have dinner? Like that's her bit. Like she's always eating. You see her in a lot of cases, always eating. She's toothpick thin. Oh yeah, no, 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 no. She's she, she's kind of a f- petite, athletic sort of middle range. Very long legs. Oh yes. yes Something very, you see a lot in in anime. Um, is is the body proportion with the very long legs kind of a, a lot more exaggerated? Yeah, I think it's because a lot of them are trying to rep, are trying to mimic Western style or Western kind of uh, body shapes in a lot of cases. But exaggeratedly long legs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so Carnival Phantasm is basically just kind of this very very lighthearted version that came out in 2011, 2012. Um, it also includes uh, Tsuke Hime and Karyo Nokai from the other Natsuverse, but all the characters kind of like just riff off each other and and kind of they're not openly attacking each other, but they're like making fun of them. There's it'd be, an, it'd be like if you had all the Avengers living in a world. And they were and they were just living with the bad guys, and the bad guys were just yeah. kind of naturally interacting with each yeah. other. There's a little episode deva- uh, devoted to them playing weird games like tennis and other stuff. And eventually it devolves into this race where, like, they're each racing in cars, but one of the cars is literally, like, like a 1970s, like, convertible kind of thing, versus another one is a literal, like, flying cloud, and one of them is, it's sabers on a lion that's like a, like the kind of lion, like the kind of, like, you know the little child rides you can get at, like, the mall that's yeah. just, like, just, like, a big fluffy animal that you just kind of moves really slowly. Yeah. Saber rides that. Um, Saber and lions are actually another big thing as well. Okay. So she, she gets a toy lion in the fate route at one point, which like Shiro gives her and she's kind of like, oh, this is... Well, it is the symbol of England, so, mm-hmm. you know, it uh, works. In, in, but in later incarnations, it's a... In the, in the fan version of what we think the fate universe is, it's a much bigger deal. Like she kind of like Aslan in in uh, like she literally has a saber onesie that she wears at one point. Oh wow! Yeah, um, to say there's a lot of sabers is a is an understatement. There's a lot of sabers. Okay. Um, it's very cute and it's very funny. It's not serious and it doesn't add to the plot at all. Because oddly enough, when you actually look at all these things individually, they actually all add to the Natsuverse in one level or another. Um, or as far as how magic and other stuff works in the universe. Um, the other one here, which is another true spinoff, is called Fate, Kidliner, Linear, Prisma, Ilia. Oh, we got enough. So this is Ilia's. So this is Ilia's version. Um, so Ilia in the Fate Stay Night universe is a half-human, half-humunculus. And is, uh, even though she is the master of uh, Berserker, who is Hercules... Um, she is actually the vessel that will become the Holy Grail, because she's not real. She's not a real human at the end of the day. She's supposed to be the vessel that becomes the Holy the Holy Grail at the end of the day. Um, but in this version, Ilya is just a regular human girl whose big brother is Shiro Emiya. Of course. Um, and she becomes a magical girl. <laughs> Um, this series is kind of uh, this series um, in this version of the series um, you don't summon heroic spirits you actually um, install heroic spirits into yourself and take on take them on as your presence 
So, like, instead of summoning, like, King Arthur, you would just become King Arthur, and you would, like, be able to wear his armor and have all of his skills and forethoughts and fight using, like, King Arthur as, like, as you would, like, a, like a suit of armor, almost. So you'd almost, like, wear King Arthur. Um, you, it's, you put on a suit like Iron Man. Yeah. And it. each Iron Man suit has different stuff. Yeah. So kind of like that. Um, this series is a little um, odd um, because it's uh, got a lot of heavy fan service and a lot of heavily implied sexual harassment between characters. Um, and especially, it, it, hasn't, it hasn't been through the Me Too movement? No, no, no. It, especially, well, because a lot of the her sexual harassment comes from other childish female characters. It's so, like Ilya's like 11, 12 years old. Like she's a yeah. preteen girl. Um, and it's other girls that are like also the preteen 12, 11, 12 year old year olds are kind of harassing each other. Like so, so are mean girls, not mean girls, not, not in the mean way, but they're kind of like, you know, Oh, look at your butt. Oh my goodness. Those are cute panties or why haven't you grown breasts yet? Or something like that. One of them literally eventually in a later season has to kiss some of the girls in order to drain their mana to physically exist. Okay. So let's back up here for a second for, <laughs> for people who, yeah. Um, for people who aren't aware, because I'm I'm aware of the term of mana because it fits into a lot of different different things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you, you have mana in in, in World of Warcraft craft. and other yeah. games. Yeah, yeah, in a lot of other games. Explain what mana is. So the best way I can describe mana is so a car needs gasoline to run at the end right. of the day, right? If you were to be a mage or a magical person of any particular level, you would have to have some level of mana. So you'd have to have some level of gasoline inside you. See, and I think of it, and you can tell me if I'm wrong, I think of it as spiritual energy. Yes. In in most in the most logical sense, it's spiritual energy. Um, you can gain it from the air around you. It, sometimes it's um, absorbed through the skin. Sometimes it just is something you build up over time and radiates out of you, kind of like blood or... You do a bunch of good deeds, you build up good mana. Yeah. Yeah. In the most traditional sense, as a mechanic, it's often kind of the special gauge that you have. So you can only do so many special things as long as you have enough mana. Right. Um, In the case of, like... The the gas analogy really works. Yeah. And so, like, in the example of World of Warcraft, you can only use your special ability so many times before you run out of mana at the end of the day. And once you run out of mana, you have to wait for it to... You have to wait to wait to either find a way to recharge it or wait for it to gain back slowly before you can do special cool things again. Um, in the case of, in the version of Fate Stay Night here, um, mana is just kind of like um, is like your stamina in a lot of ways. Okay. So like if you use you know most people who regularly work out or use magic in a lot of cases have a high amount of stamina, so they're not so they can do like. They can go run a mile and not be. They can be tired at the end of it, but not so tired that they won't. That they're gonna pass out immediately. Uh, right. So much as that, like some, you know, the better magic people are able to go run like marathons and do triathlons at the end of the day, because they have this built-up stamina within them. Yeah. Um, and so that's kind of how mana works at the end of the day, um, at least within the Fate franchise. But and it differs a little bit everywhere else. Sometimes mana is literally things you eat or their crystals that you that you have to attach to other stuff to make them do magical stuff in some cases um if you go back to the first um captain america movie the first avenger 
Uh, the Tesseract kind of creates mana at the end of the day, if you think about it. Yeah. Um, so there's, sometimes it goes by different names, too. Yeah. Um, and one of the last... Uh, the next series I want to talk about is actually the most lighthearted version of this you could actually find. So where Carnival Phantasm is a funny comedy, Emiya-san Chiyo no Kyo no Gyoan, or today's menu for the Emiya family, is um, goes back to the goes back to kind of the carnival phantasm where like all the characters from all the masters and servants just kind of exist. They're not actually trying to kill each other on any particular level. They're just like, oh, Saber just happens to be like this friend from England that's visiting. Yeah, because everyone else is around her is Japanese, but she's very blonde and white. Yeah, she is. So, but she's just visiting from she's just visiting Japan. She's staying with the Emiya family for a short period of time. Um, and every and it's a an example of what they call a healing anime. It's the kind of anime that you watch. You're just like, this is nice. Yeah. This is relaxing. This is nice. Doesn't have to do anything. Doesn't require a lot of emotion. No. It, and much like Carnival Phantasm, it plays on um, some of the fan inspired tropes of the series. So as an example, like um, there's a school teacher that's in the Fate Stay Night series. Um, I can't remember her name to save my life. I think her name is Taiga. But um, she is a very high energy person that likes to get drunk. But she always in in the in the fake state universe, she always comes to Emmy's house to get dinner because she is a former family friend of her of Emmy's dad, um, or rather, she was just happened to be the neighbor that always came by and messed with Emmy. So she still comes over and messes with Emmy. Um, but she's also, I think, the legal guardian for Emmy as well at this point, um, as his father's passed on. By the, it pa- has passed on for a few years by the time of Face Day Night. Okay. Um, so she always comes for dinner, and Emiya always cooks dinner. And uh, What's interesting is that a lot of the meal... Saber's always waiting for dinner. Yeah, you talked about... Very, she's yeah. very excited to get fed. And her reactions in this show to being fed are often this very, like, aww, kind of, kind of feeling at the end of the day. Um, it's very cute, but it's also kind of a bit of a cooking show as well. Oh. Because uh, Shiro kind of goes into... The ghost kind of all the processes of what you would do to cook some traditional Japanese food, which to them is probably like, you know, oh, that's a that's a Wednesday night dinner. To us, it's kind yeah. of like, oh, that's a that's a unique kind of dinner. That would be kind of a cool thing to eat. Yeah. They don't go through like the, they go through like what ingredients you would use, but they don't like go through like how much you would use or the exact like way you would, you would do it in certain ways. But they go through like the motions and they show all the steps and Amy actually narrates it as well so at one point I think the finale is them having a like a big formal dinner and Emmy actually cooks a turkey oh, so, I like cooking turkey yeah it, it's a very sweet and it's a very lighthearted. it's a very homely and it's you f- I, I play the episodes when I'm when I, I'm having a bad mood in some cases just because they're nice and they're fun yeah um, and the very last thing I want to talk about which I'm not going to go into a great detail because that's actually a future episode uh-huh is called fate grand order it is a video game for your for your phone for your iPhone and Android. It is what they what we term in the, in the industry is a gotcha is a gotcha mechanic game. Um, the gotcha mechanic is basically this notion that you roll the dice. If you roll the dice correctly, you get a new character that's a top tier character. But if you roll the dice incorrectly, you just get a weak character that you really don't want, and you'll yeah. get hundreds and hundreds of thousands of weak characters you don't want. Right. Um, and Fate Go, it reimagines the world as 
um, including a lot of the fake characters. And this is where you, where you also get like Billy the Kid and Cleopatra and a lot of these other varied versions of uh, what could be fake characters at the end of the day. Um, like, uh, if you name a historical figure, there's probably a fake character for it. Okay. So Queen Elizabeth. Yes. Cool. Um, She's that, that's my girl. She. Yeah. She, jo- Joan of Arc's a good one too. Oh yeah, no, Joan of Arc uh, is top tier in that case. Yeah. Um, but this version reimagines the world is actually dying, and this one remote station in Antarctica is actually still the only thing left in the universe. And it's trying to save the world by closing these paradoxical um, elements and loops by finding the Holy Grail in these various timelines. Once they find the Holy Grail, they can actually fix the Earth and bring the world back into proper order, or as uh, ideally the grand order. Um, and the notion is that you play a character that lets you summon infinite number of servants. You actually summon like hundreds of thousands of servants, like... Um, Achilles is in one of them, Merlin, um, uh, Gorgana, the other Medusa-based character, um, a Mayan character named Quinsequatl. Okay, well, that actually is a Mayan character. Quinsequatl, who is a white American girl, oddly enough, because they like... No, 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 no. I know, they... There's not a logical reason stated for it. But do they go to Shibalba? No, but they actually no. do summon a Mayan temple temple in Babylonia. Interesting. Yeah. We've been to many Mayan temples. Mm-hmm. So, um, so Fate Grand Order, again, is kind of the way that the Fate franchise is kind of continuing to exist outside of the original Fate Stay Night. Uh, mostly because you can just have, you can have the, the Nazi-verse continue to create new characters based off of just, like, whoever yeah. they wanted. Like, yeah. Billy the Kid's actually a lot of fun. Yeah, I would bet. Do we have Robin Hood? You have Robin Hood. Okay. Um, he's actually from Fate Extra, but you actually get the entire uh, court. So you get Lancelot and Guinevere and a lot of the other knights from the Holy Roundtable, including Mordred. That is the literal, like, episode. Um, there's been an anime interpretation of this, of the Babylonia arc, that was a good uh, 26 episodes. Um, it was really well done I we enjoyed I enjoyed it quite a bit oh very cool um, but for your homework um, and we're actually going to talk about that a little bit more because I actually want to talk about gotcha games okay because I think it's an interesting collection of games that exist out there and it's a bad rabbit hole to dive down to okay um, one of the rabbit holes that I currently exist in oh okay so I will be happy to share that in a later episode but I want to um, have a starter a starter bit for this and so your homework here for this weekend is to watch Fate Zero. Okay. Um, now, Fate Zero, again, I think is the better way to get into the Fate it's franchise. It's sort of a prequel. It's a prequel, but it does, its literal first episode is almost an hour long versus where every other would be like a half hour long. And literally all it does is just set up the world and how stuff works. Okay. Because um, it outlines uh, the first, like, it outlines literally like the first, like, three or four years before the actual start of the of the Holy Grail tournament and uh-huh. how they actually figure out who's going to participate in it, what servants they're summoning, and so forth. Um, and so Fate Zero is a good entry point. Mm-hmm. Um, it's broken up into two seasons because it's about 26 episode, 25, 26 episodes long. Um, but 
if you just watch uh, whatever you watch of it from like the very beginning and as far as you get to would be perfectly fine okay it's available on netflix and it has an uh, it has a very good english dub for it which is what i would recommend listening to it in so it's not distracting on so any- it's not on crunchyroll it is on Crunchyroll, Crunchyroll, but Crunchyroll only has it in Japanese. Oh, okay. Is, so you can watch it in Japanese on Crunchyroll if you wanted to, but... No, it's not going to do me any good. Um, yeah. Yeah. But um, if it's still up there, sometimes Crunchyroll doesn't have stuff on there anymore after certain companies license it, so they can have it on their own service. Uh, by the way, the Funimation service is a garbage service, even though they have a lot of great shows in there. It's not a very easy platform to navigate through. It's really horrible. I don't know why they don't take their cues from Netflix and uh, Crunchyroll at all. Yeah. Which is kind of odd. Uh, but a lot of good stuff on there. Okay. Um, so Fate Zero is what I would recommend. Okay. Um, and so we'll put all this on here, plus the myriad of sabers that are out there, because there's literally dozens upon dozens of sabers. Oh, I bet. A, a lot of it being the King Arthur variety. There's Because mind you, like this version right here is the teenager version of King Arthur. There's a... It, Apparently, when she grabbed Excalibur, pulled it from the sword, from the sword and stone, it actually made her immortal. Uh, so she wouldn't continue to age at all. Yeah. Uh, when she disses the saber and actually gains like the spear, uh, a spear, she actually grows up to an older woman, and and it's kind of weird. But there's okay. a, there's a, there's a swimsuit version. The Fate Go has a lot of variations on saber. Cool. Um, but. We'll put all that information on our website at the nerdtutorialpodcast.com. Um, we also continue the conversation on our Facebook group as well at facebook.com forward slash nerdtutorialpodcast where you can find out when new episodes get posted. Um, and then if you want to discuss with me on Twitter and let me know any comments, ideas, or suggestions for future episodes, you can see me visit me on Twitter at nerd underscore tutorial. Um, and we also follow a lot of the other stuff that we've covered on those uh, few previous topics as well. So if you want to see new stuff happening for Pokemon or uh, VR, uh, you can see some of the stuff that comes out there. Like right now for VR, there's a new Star Wars game called Star Wars uh, Squadron that rely that you can use by just having a regular um, monitor. But it actually is kind of designed for VR, so you look around through the cockpit and you can see all the elements around you. Like you that's look, pretty cool. Yeah, and so some people actually have like full like cockpit seats kind of juried up with like a flight stick and um, throttles and, and foot pedals, and like they're just with their VR kind of looking around like, oh, let's go that way. And so uh, it looks really cool, and I actually might give it a try here in a couple weeks. That does sound cool. Um, but yeah, so again, that's some of that cool stuff that's happening out there in the world. Um, but for the meantime, we hope that you stay safe. We'll see you guys, and we'll talk about more fate when you guys come back next time. So stay safe out there, and we'll see you again again next time. Bye. Bye.